Merry Christmas. <laughs> We're continuing at the movies, right? At the movie series. This was a so- uh, song. I'm still singing in my head. He is jealous. Uh, this is a movie that was suggested by a member of the congregation who shall be nameless, however, is not here today, so I will continue to talk about them even though they're nameless. Um, no, it's, it was suggested and... For those of you who know that How the Grinch Stole Christmas is kind of an easy one to, to grab some themes from, but as usual, my brain doesn't work like most brains, I think. So, so I, I got something maybe a little bit different out of it than what is the standard. This is a Dr. Seuss classic, right? How many of you have seen the Grinch, How the Grinch uh, have seen? I know I was going to should do the other, right? How many haven't seen How the Grinch? Stole Christmas. So, so just a few. Uh, so good. Put it on your list. <laughs> so the Grinch hates Christmas, right? Safe to say, hates Christmas. Up on his mountain, he's going to destroy Christmas, and so let's let him start our journey. Down in Whoville, liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly Who wreath. And they're hanging their stockings. He snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. He keeps Christmas from coming in his head anyway. He goes down into Whoville and he steals everything. He steals the presents. He steals the trees. He steals the ornaments. He steals down to crumbs, right? There's just crumbs left, not even enough for a mouse. So he thinks that he's won. He's got it. And, and so he's happy with himself back up on his mountain. Of course, it doesn't end there. But what I kept thinking about when I was watching this movie was something I talked about a few weeks ago. It, it's a concept that... Um, was introduced to me some years back and, and, and really has transformed my view of the Christian journey. Catalytic events, kind of those, the, we have a God of the breakthrough, right, that, that we'll be going along comfortable and then we'll hit a moment and then something will happen and, and it breaks us through to the next level. That's how God works. And we don't always know exactly what that is, right? A few weeks back we talked about this during the Rooted series when we were talking about grow groups and service. And I spent some time looking at the Christian journey because we think of it as this incline, that it's an ascent up to, you know, in the old days when they go to Jerusalem, right? They, they had psalms of ascent as they climbed up the hill to Jerusalem, to the temple. And we think of it like that, that it's kind of this steady journey. But 
you know, if you look at your life and if I look at mine, it, it isn't like that. It's not a steady ascent. It, it's spurts and it's plateaus and it's ending up in comfortable places and, and ending up in uncomfortable places. But when we get to those comfort places, kind of, you know, just come off that rut stretch. I kind of like being here. I don't need, you know, just leave me alone for a while. And it's like, I like the hermit crab. You know, it's just like that, right? Because, like, get a breath, you know, I'm good. Except God never leaves us there because this is who he is. He wants us to move forward. He, he wants us to break through. He wants us to move to a place closer to becoming who he is calling you to be and calling me to be, whatever that looks like. And for each of us, it's different. It's why the body of Christ is so powerful when we don't try to be each other and we try to be who God called us to be and we're together in it because who you are is who you're supposed to be. Be you for him not just a hashtag around here. It's a philosophy, and it's who, uh, you know, we really, our, our, our purpose statement, inspire people to fulfill God's calling in their life, help lead people from where they are to where God would have them to be. That's what we want to be about in this place, whatever that looks like. It's why some of those books in the back, take them. They're part of the journey. They're part of this process that we believe God is calling you and calling me to. It's to new places, often very uncomfortable and difficult places. It's not always easy. Can I get an amen? amen? You know, this journey of ours is not meant to be easy. Sometimes it gets out this, well, I'm going to accept Christ and everything's going to be hunky-dory and, you know, and apple pie and all that stuff. Anybody's Christian journey been like that? Mine hasn't. <laughs> Mine's been ups and downs and upside downs and sideways. I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict up here preaching to y'all. How crazy is that? I mean, it just doesn't happen, and yet... It does, <laughs> you know, how crazy, it's just weird, but it's always been like that. So let me go through just a few folks. Start with Abram, this gentleman named Abram, this is Genesis 12, it says, the Lord said to Abram, stay in your country, stay where you are, and no, that's not what he said to Abram. He told Abram, he said, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. They didn't have internet. They didn't have nothing. You know, it's like uh, this land that I will show you, he didn't even have a picture of. It's like it's going to be out there. Just go. You know, sometimes we forget the context, right? When he said to Abram, go, he, he wasn't like saying, here's, you know, here's the picture and the beauty. And uh-uh, it's like, go check it out. You'll know when you get there. You know, anybody's journey been like that? Can I get an amen to that? You know, you'll know when you get there. Okay, thanks, Lyle. I wish you'd kind of show me in advance. Nope. Uh, <laughs> but here's some promises, though. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. See, that's the weird thing about when we decide to take those steps of faith and we go out there and go, okay, God, I don't know where I'm going, but I, you said go, I'm going to Zimbabwe. <laughs> See, Abram was from, his dad's name was Terah. And they had settled. They had, you know, they, they were supposed to go to Canaan. They didn't make it. They had settled in a place called Haran. And they were good in that place until God showed up and said to Abram, okay, bud, it's time to get uncomfortable and go to the place that I told you to go. So here's a little of that journey. Oh, not yet. It's in a minute. What's that say? One encounter with God can change everything. One. Do you believe that? 
One encounter with God can change everything. See, if you're new here, you're going to hear this from me a lot because this is one of my reinforcement points that comes up all the time. If you encounter the living God, you cannot help but be changed. When you encounter the living God, you cannot help but be changed. And Abram's journey didn't go smooth. This is probably a bit more like that. This is probably more of the journey. See, he started out way over here in Ur. That says Ur. And Haran is up there at the top, that first arrow. That's where uh, Terah and, and Abram made it. And then the rest of that is Abram's journey when he went down, and he ended up going into the pass and the Negev to Zoan, and then that's Egypt, and then back. And it was a mess. I mean, he went all over the place. It was not a smooth journey. There were incidents in Egypt. Uh, he tried to pass off Sarah as his sister because, you know, the dude, dude liked her, thought she was pretty. And if, if he knows that we're married, he's going to kill me. So we're not married. So he's my sister. And then the guy finds out. And then he says, why did you lie to me? This kind of, you know, normal stuff. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lot, Lot is part of this journey. Lot comes along, and he's separated from them. And Abram sep- rescues Lot, and God makes a covenant. And Sarah, Sarah is 90 years old, so she says, you know, I know that God said that we're going to have kids, but I'm not buying it because I'm 90 and you're old. And the two of us, you know, this doesn't happen. We don't have kids when we're 90. And if we are, who's going to play with them because we're too old to play with them? And we're never going to raise them, right, because we're too old. So take Hagar and have a kid with Hagar, my maidservant. So he does, and that child's name is? Ishmael, who happens to be the founder of the Islamic faith. So they're they're coming along, and then guess who gets pregnant? Sarah, and so she has a kid. Isaac, so Isaac, who is the founder of the Jewish faith, and the Jews and the Islamic people are going to be at enmity forever, as Scripture tells us. That's true. Anyway, um, so that's still going on. <laughs> They're still fighting with each other. This is the origin of that because Sarah then got jealous of Hagar and Ishmael and said, look, you need to kick them out. Kicks them out. They end up in the wilderness, but God takes care of them. It's, j- it's smooth. Right? Smooth. This is the journey. See, this, but that is how it is. We've got ups and downs, plateaus, inclines, all of these things that happen in our journey. And it's not just Abram. There's this these other folks. There's this guy named Noah who talks about it, is told by God that there's going to be this flood. So I need you to build this boat. Not just a boat. I need you to build this massive ark. And by the way, there's no evidence at this point that it had ever rained. So we, you know, I I don't think it had. So he's telling the the people in the village, okay, it's going to, water's going to come down from the sky and, and there's going to be this big flood. And so I'm building this big boat so that all the animals can come from everywhere, they're just going to show up, and they're going to come, and they're going to get on the boat, and the village people, you know what they did? <laughs> you crazy, Noah. You know, you know, something wrong with you. And then, of course, what happened? It rained. <laughs> yeah. It rained, uh, and, and, and so the village people then were going, uh, can I get on the boat? <laughs> Too late. Um, but we get a rainbow to remind us that God will never do that again. You know, so, so there's Noah, and that happened. Joseph, well, he's one of my favorites, by the way. Joseph is one of my favorites. Has this dream. He's, young, he's the youngest of his brothers. Has a dream that he's the tallest sheep. So he's going to, in other words, I'm going to be the, over you guys. And he tells his brothers, and if you have brothers, you know that you don't go to your brothers and say, by the way, I'm going to be over you later on in life. You don't do that, but he did. 
So they reacted like all older brothers do, and they sold him off into slavery. <laughs> well, first they put him in a cistern, and then they, they sent him on into Egypt. So he gets to Egypt, and what happens in Egypt? Well, he gets blessed, and he's part of Potiphar's household, and, and he's one of his attendants, which is awesome, except that Potiphar's wife then accuses him of attacking her. And then you know where he ends up? He ends up in prison. So he ends up in prison for three years, and then he, he is an interpreter of dreams, and then he ends up back in the good graces of Potiphar during a famine, and that is when he gets to save his family because he then can, can when they come to Egypt, they don't know who he is. It's a cool story. You ought to read it. Smooth, you know, incline. You know, just no ups and downs or anything. It's just like my journey is smooth. You know, we got it's on and on. David, love you know, shepherd boy David goes and slays Goliath. But you know what else happened in his life? Besides Bathsheba. <laughs> Bathsheba happened too. He, he, he sends Uriah the Hittite out, is married to Bathsheba. He sees Bathsheba, has an affair with her, and, and she gets pregnant. And he says, hey, why don't you go sleep with your wife? He calls him back from the, from the battleground. And he says, no, I won't do that. So he sends him out to the front line so that he'll be killed in the battle. So that then he has Bathsheba as part of his harem. But that, not just that, right? This man after God's own heart, you know, he's named, yes, he slays Goliath, yes, he's a shepherd. It's awesome stuff growing up. And then he's named the successor. And what does the king do? Chases him everywhere. He ends up in caves, the cave of Adullam, kind of, you know, all these stories of David running from Saul. And then Saul gets killed and he gets to be king. And then what happens? Absalom, his son, goes to the gate and starts to tell people, hey, wouldn't I make a better king? And, they, and so David doesn't want to hurt Absalom. It's his son. And so David leaves, and, and, and then Absalom ends up getting killed. And so, oh, you know, smooth, right? Elijah, who used to get depressed, he's chased, here's the still, we love it, he hears the still small voice of God while he's running from King Ahab, <laughs> you know? That's, that's his story. You got Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? Here am I. Send me. On and on. It's on and on. And that's the Old Testament. So it only happened in the Old Testament, right? The New Testament, guys, after Jesus, it got easy. No? Let's talk about Saul who became Paul. Want to? Well, I do, so you got to listen. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Paul... Saul, at this point, is chasing Christians down the road to Damascus when this happened. This is Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Nice guy. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, he had found any Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood speechless. Uh, they heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house on Judas, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias answered, are you out of your mind? Wait, no, that's Mike's version. <laughs> this is the, the, the condensed version from actual scripture. I still think he said, are you out of your mind? Lord. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We don't always see that. Paul went through a lot. Then Ananias went into the house, placing his hands on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming in, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was actually kind of grinchy, if you think about it. He was out to destroy the way. He was out to destroy Christianity. He was going to wipe it off the face of the earth. He was a zealot. He was a Pharisee. He was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. He was going to destroy the way. He was going to destroy us. He didn't want us to be here today at that point. And then something happened. And he was struck blind. We call it a road to Damascus experience nowadays because of the sudden transformation that happened to, to Paul. And look, I admit it's a little bit of a stretch that, that he's grinchy. But he's kind of, but not really, right? The grinch is not Paul. Anyway. Anyway, here's a video. It started in low. I think there's a light in this, too. Then it started to grow. sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and 
past, till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then, the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. And now there is... Found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. Christmas perhaps doesn't come from the store. Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. What happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. I think one of the things that the Grinch and each of us have in common is that we need to find those things that help our heart grow three sizes. It happens in different ways. We've talked about a lot of those. Uh, being willing to put ourselves out there, right? Being willing to put ourselves out there in mission to join a small group, even though it can be uncomfortable to be in a group, to study scripture, spend time in fellowship, getting to know one another, spend time in prayer, go on mission trips, local or far away. God will show up and he'll do amazing things. It can happen on retreats like it has for many on walk to Emmaus or a men's retreat or a women's retreat, putting yourself out there happens for others just on a regular Sunday morning or in the car on the way to work or God can show up anywhere if we're willing to make ourselves available and here's something I don't think I mentioned when I did that other sermon because God shows up in trials and troubles too but it's often in the midst of some of the most difficult things that we go through that God is so present that we sense him and we realize that we are no longer alone we get to walk together with him, with each other. So my prayer is that we remain open to the possibility, just remain open to the possibility that God has something in store for you, that God has something just for you. In Whoville, you might hear this. Christmas joy is in our grasp as long as we have hands to clasp. And Christmas Day will always be just as long as we are we. Welcome Christmas while we stand, heart to heart and hand to hand. Our journey isn't meant to be a smooth, steady incline. 
I know that some of y'all are going through incredibly difficult things even today. Please know that God is with you in that, that he will show up. Always does. I can vouch for that. He won't let you go. He loves you so much.